Section three of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Rome by Emile Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter two, part one. The Via Giulia, which runs in a straight line over a distance of five hundred yards from the Farnese Palace to the Church of St. John of the Florentines was at that hour steeped in bright sunlight the glow streaming from end to end and whitening the small square paving stones the street had no footways and the cab rolled along it almost to the farther extremity passing the old grey sleepy and deserted residences whose large windows were barred with iron while their deep porches revealed sombre courts resembling wells laid out by pope julius the second who had dreamt of lining it with magnificent palaces the street then the most regular and handsome in rome had served as corso in the sixteenth century one could tell that one was in a former luxurious district which had lapsed into silence solitude and abandonment instinct with a kind of religious gentleness and discretion the old house fronts followed one after another their shutters closed and their gratings occasionally decked with climbing plants at some doors cats were seated and dim shops appropriated to humble trades were installed in certain dependencies but little traffic was apparent pierre only noticed some bare-headed women dragging children behind them a hay-cart drawn by a mule a superb monk draped in drugget and a bicyclist speeding along noiselessly his machine sparkling in the sun at last the driver turned and pointed to a large square building at the corner of a lane running towards the Tiber. Palazzo Bocanera. Pierre raised his head and was pained by the severe aspect of the structure, so bare and massive and blackened by age. Like its neighbours, the Farnese and the Sacchetti palaces, it had been built by Antonio de Sangallo in the early part of the sixteenth century, and as with the former of those residences, the tradition ran that in raising the pile the architect had made use of stones pilfered from the Colosseum and the theatre of marcellus the vast square-looking facade had three upper stories each with seven windows and the first one very lofty and noble down below the only sign of decoration was that the high ground-floor windows barred with huge projecting gratings as though from fear of siege rested upon large consoles and were crowned by attics which smaller consoles supported above the monumental entrance with folding doors of bronze there was a balcony in front of the central first floor window and at the summit of the facade against the sky appeared a sumptuous entablature whose frieze displayed admirable grace and purity of ornamentation this frieze the consoles the attics and the door-case were of white marble but marble whose surface had so crumbled and so darkened that it now had the rough yellowish grain of stone right and left of the entrance were two antique seats upheld by griffins also of marble and encrusted in the wall at one corner a lovely renaissance fountain its source dried up still lingered and on it a cupid riding a dolphin could with difficulty be distinguished to such a degree had the wear and tear of time eaten into the sculpture pierre's eyes however had been more particularly attracted by an escutcheon carved above one of the ground-floor windows the escutcheon of the bocaneras a winged dragon venting flames and underneath it he could plainly read the motto which had remained intact bocanera alma rosa black mouth red soul 
above another window as a pendant to the escutcheon there was one of those little shrines which are still common in rome a satin-robed statuette of the blessed virgin before which a lantern burnt in the full daylight the cabman was about to drive through the dim and gaping porch according to custom when the young priest overcome by timidity stopped him no no he said don't go in it's useless then he alighted from the vehicle paid the man and valise in hand found himself first under the vaulted roof and then in the central court without having met a living soul it was a square and fairly spacious court surrounded by a porticus like a cloister some remnants of statuary marbles discovered in excavating an armless apollo and the trunk of a venus were ranged against the walls under the dismal arcades and some fine grass had sprouted between the pebbles which paved the soil as with a black and white mosaic it seemed as if the sun-rays could never reach that paving mouldy with damp a dimness and a silence instinct with departed grandeur and infinite mournfulness reigned there surprised by the emptiness of this silent mansion pierre continued seeking somebody a porter a servant and fancying that he saw a shadow flit by he decided to pass through another arch which led to a little garden fringing the tiber on this side the facade of the building was quite plain displaying nothing beyond its three rows of symmetrically disposed windows however the abandonment reigning in the garden brought pierre yet a keener pang in the centre some large box plants were growing in the basin of a fountain which had been filled up while among the mass of weeds some orange trees with golden ripening fruit alone indicated the tracery of the paths which they had once bordered between two huge laurel bushes against the right-hand wall there was a sarcophagus of the second century with fawns offering violence to nymphs one of those wild bacchanali those scenes of eager passion which rome in its decline was wont to depict on the tombs of its dead and this marble sarcophagus crumbling with age and green with moisture served as a tank into which a streamlet of water fell from a large tragic mask encrusted in the wall facing the tiber there had formerly been a sort of colonnaded loggia a terrace whence a double flight of steps descended to the river for the construction of the new quays however the river bank was being raised and the terrace was already lower than the new ground level and stood there crumbling and useless amidst piles of rubbish and blocks of stone all the wretched chalky confusion of the improvements which were ripping up and overturning the district pierre however was suddenly convinced that he could see somebody crossing the court so he returned thither and found a woman somewhat short of stature who must have been nearly fifty though as yet she had not a white hair but looked very bright and active at sight of the priest however an expression of distrust passed over her round face and clear eyes employing the few words of broken italian which he knew pierre at once sought to explain matters i am abbe pierre froment madame he began however she did not let him continue but exclaimed in fluent french with the somewhat thick and lingering accent from the province of ile de france ah yes monsieur l'abbé i know i know i was expecting you i received orders about you and then as he gazed at her in amazement she added oh i'm a frenchwoman i've been here for five-and-twenty years but i haven't yet been able to get used to their horrible lingo pierre thereupon remembered that viscount philibert de la choux had spoken to him of this servant one victorine bosquet a native of Aunau in la beauce who when two-and-twenty had gone to rome with a consumptive mistress 
the latter's sudden death had left her in as much terror and bewilderment as if she had been alone in some land of savages and so she had gratefully devoted herself to the countess ernesta brandini a bocanera by birth who had so to say picked her up in the streets the countess had at first employed her as nurse to her daughter benedetta hoping in this way to teach the child some french and victorine remaining for five-and-twenty years with the same family had by degrees raised herself to the position of housekeeper while still remaining virtually illiterate so destitute indeed of any linguistic gift that she could only jabber a little broken italian just sufficient for her needs in her intercourse with the other servants and is monsieur le vicomte quite well she resumed with frank familiarity he is so very pleasant and we are always so pleased to see him he stays here you know each time he comes to rome i know that the princess and the contesina received a letter from him yesterday announcing you it was indeed viscount philibert de la choux who had made all the arrangements for pierre's sojourn in rome of the ancient and once vigorous race of the bocaneras there now only remained cardinal pio bocanera the princess his sister an old maid who from respect was called donna serafina their niece benedetta whose mother ernesta had followed her husband count brandini to the tomb and finally their nephew prince dario bocanera whose father prince onofrio was likewise dead and whose mother a montefiori had married again it so chanced that the viscount de la choux was connected with the family his younger brother having married a brandini sister to benedetta's father and thus with the courtesy rank of uncle he had in count brandini's time frequently sojourned at the mansion in the via giulia he had also become attached to benedetta especially since the advent of a private family drama consequent upon an unhappy marriage which the young woman had contracted and which she had petitioned the holy father to annul since benedetta had left her husband to live with her aunt serafina and her uncle the cardinal monsieur de la choux had often written to her and sent her parcels of french books among others he had forwarded her a copy of pierre's book and the whole affair had originated in that wise several letters on the subject had been exchanged when at last benedetta sent word that the work had been denounced to the congregation of the index and that it was advisable the author should at once repair to rome where she graciously offered him the hospitality of the bocanera mansion the viscount was quite as much astonished as the young priest at these tidings and failed to understand why the book should be threatened at all however he prevailed on pierre to make the journey as a matter of good policy becoming himself impassioned for the achievement of a victory which he counted in anticipation as his own and so it was easy to understand the bewildered condition of pierre on tumbling into this unknown mansion launched into an heroic adventure the reasons and circumstances of which were beyond him victorine however suddenly resumed but i am leaving you here monsieur l'abbé let me conduct you to your rooms where is your luggage then when he had shown her his valise which he had placed on the ground beside him and explained that having no more than a fortnight's stay in view he had contented himself with bringing a second cassock and some linen she seemed very much surprised a fortnight you only expect to remain here a fortnight well well you'll see and then summoning a big devil of a lackey who had ended by making his appearance she said take that up into the red room giacomo will you kindly follow me monsieur l'abbé pierre felt quite comforted and inspirited by thus unexpectedly meeting such a lively good-natured compatriot in this gloomy roman palace whilst crossing the court he listened to her as she related that the princess had gone out 
and that the contessina as benedetta from motives of affection was still called in the house despite her marriage had not yet shown herself that morning being rather poorly however added victorine she had her orders the staircase was in one corner of the court under the porticus it was a monumental staircase with broad low steps the incline being so gentle that a horse might easily have climbed it the stone walls however were quite bare the landings empty and solemn and a death-like mournfulness fell from the lofty vault above as they reached the first floor noticing pierre's emotion victorine smiled the mansion seemed to be uninhabited not a sound came from its closed chambers simply pointing to a large oaken door on the right hand the housekeeper remarked the wing overlooking the court and the river is occupied by his eminence but he doesn't use a quarter of the rooms all the reception rooms on the side of the street have been shut how could one keep up such a big place and what too would be the use of it we should need somebody to lodge with her lithe step she continued ascending the stairs she had remained essentially a foreigner a frenchwoman too different from those among whom she lived to be influenced by her environment on reaching the second floor she resumed there on the left are donna serafina's rooms those of the contessina are on the right this is the only part of the house where there's a little warmth and life besides it's monday today the princess will be receiving visitors this evening you'll see then opening a door beyond which was a second and very narrow staircase she went on we others have our rooms on the third floor i must ask monsieur l'abbé to let me go up before him the grand staircase ceased at the second floor and victorine explained that the third story was reached exclusively by this servant's staircase which led from the lane running down to the tiber on one side of the mansion there was a small private entrance in this lane which was very convenient at last reaching the third story she hurried along a passage again calling pierre's attention to various doors these are the apartments of don vigilio his eminence's secretary these are mine and these will be yours monsieur le vicomte will never have any other rooms when he comes to spend a few days in rome he says that he enjoys more liberty up here as he can come in and go out as he pleases i gave him a key to the door in the lane and i'll give you one too and besides you'll see what a nice view there is from here whilst speaking she had gone in the apartments comprised two rooms a somewhat spacious salon with wallpaper of a large scroll pattern on a red ground and a bedchamber where the paper was of a flax grey studded with faded blue flowers the sitting-room was in one corner of the mansion overlooking the lane and the tiber and victorine at once went to the windows one of which afforded a view over the distant lower part of the river while the other faced the trastevere and the janiculum across the water ah oh, yes it's very pleasant said pierre who had followed and stood beside her giacomo who did not hurry came in behind them with the valise it was now past eleven o'clock and seeing that the young priest looked tired and realizing that he must be hungry after such a journey victorine offered to have some breakfast served at once in the sitting-room he would then have the afternoon to rest or go out and would only meet the ladies in the evening at dinner at the mere suggestion of resting however pierre began to protest declaring that he should certainly go out not wishing to lose an entire afternoon the breakfast he readily accepted for he was indeed dying of hunger however he had to wait another full half hour giacomo who served him under victorine's orders did everything in a most leisurely way 
and victorine lacking confidence in the man remained with the young priest to make sure that everything he might require was provided ah monsieur l'abbé said she what people what a country you can't have an idea of it i should never get accustomed to it even if i were to live here for a hundred years ah if it were not for the contesina but she's so good and beautiful then whilst placing a dish of figs on the table she astonished pierre by adding that a city where nearly everybody was a priest could not possibly be a good city thereupon the presence of this gay active unbelieving servant in the queer old palace again scared him what you are not religious he exclaimed no no monsieur l'abbé the priests don't suit me said victorine i knew one in france when i was very little and since i've been here i've seen too many of them it's all over oh i don't say that on account of his eminence who is a holy man worthy of all possible respect and besides everybody in the house knows that i've nothing to reproach myself with so why not leave me alone since i'm fond of my employers and attend properly to my duties she burst into a frank laugh ah she resumed when i was told that another priest was coming just as if we hadn't enough already i couldn't help growling to myself but you look like a good young man monsieur l'abbé and i feel sure we shall get on well together i really don't know why i'm telling you all this probably it's because you've come from yonder and because the contesina takes an interest in you at all events you'll excuse me won't you monsieur l'abbé and take my advice stay here and rest to-day don't be so foolish as to go running about that tiring city there's nothing very amusing to be seen in it whatever they may say to the contrary when pierre found himself alone he suddenly felt overwhelmed by all the fatigue of his journey coupled with the fever of enthusiasm that had consumed him during the morning and as though dazed intoxicated by the hasty meal which he had just made a couple of eggs and a cutlet he flung himself upon the bed with the idea of taking half an hour's rest he did not fall asleep immediately but for a time thought of those bocaneras with whose history he was partly acquainted and of whose life in that deserted and silent palace instinct with such dilapidated and melancholy grandeur he began to dream but at last his ideas grew confused and by degrees he sank into sleep amidst a crowd of shadowy forms some tragic and some sweet with vague faces which gazed at him with enigmatical eyes as they whirled before him in the depths of dreamland the bocaneras had supplied two popes to rome one in the thirteenth the other in the fifteenth century and from those two favoured ones those all-powerful masters the family had formerly derived its vast fortune large estates in the vicinity of viterbo several palaces in rome enough works of art to fill numerous spacious galleries and a pile of gold sufficient to cram a cellar the family passed as being the most pious of the roman patriziato a family of burning faith whose sword had always been at the service of the church but if it were the most believing family it was also the most violent the most disputatious constantly at war and so fiercely savage that the anger of the bocaneras had become proverbial and thence came their arms the winged dragon spitting flames and the fierce glowing motto with its play on the name bocanera alma rosa black mouth red soul the mouth darkened by a roar the soul flaming like a brazier of faith and love legends of endless passion of terrible deeds of justice and vengeance still circulated there was the duel fought by onfredo the bocanera by whom the present palazzo had been built in the sixteenth century on the site of the demolished antique residence of the family onfredo learning that his wife had allowed herself to be kissed on the lips by young count costamagna 
had caused the count to be kidnapped one evening and brought to the palazzo bound with cords and there in one of the large halls before freeing him he compelled him to confess himself to a monk then he severed the cords with a stiletto threw the lamps over and extinguished them calling to the count to keep the stiletto and defend himself during more than an hour in complete obscurity in this hall full of furniture the two men sought one another fled from one another seized hold of one another and pierced one another with their blades and when the doors were broken down and the servants rushed in they found among the pools of blood among the overturned tables and broken seats costamagna with his nose sliced off and his hips pierced with two and thirty wounds whilst onfredo had lost two fingers of his right hand and had both shoulders riddled with holes the wonder was that neither died of the encounter a century later on that same bank of the tiber a daughter of the bocaneras a girl barely sixteen years of age the lovely and passionate cassia filled all rome with terror and admiration she loved flavio corradini the scion of a rival and hated house whose alliance her father prince bocanera roughly rejected and whom her elder brother ercole swore to slay should he ever surprise him with her nevertheless the young man came to visit her in a boat and she joined him by the little staircase descending to the river but one evening ercole who was on the watch sprang into the boat and planted his dagger full in flavio's heart later on the subsequent incidents were unravelled it was understood that cassia wrathful and frantic with despair unwilling to survive her love and bent on wreaking justice had thrown herself upon her brother had seized both murderer and victim with the same grasp while overturning the boat for when the three bodies were recovered cassia still retained her hold upon the two men pressing their faces one against the other with her bare arms which had remained as white as snow but those were vanished times nowadays if faith remained blood violence seemed to be departing from the bocaneras their huge fortune also had been lost in the slow decline which for a century past has been ruining the roman patriziato it had been necessary to sell the estates the palace had emptied gradually sinking to the mediocrity and bourgeois life of the new times for their part the bocaneras obstinately declined to contract any alien alliances proud as they were of the purity of their roman blood and poverty was as nothing to them they found contentment in their immense pride and without a plaint sequestered themselves amidst the silence and gloom in which their race was dwindling away prince ascanio dead since eighteen forty eight had left four children by his wife a corvizieri first pio the cardinal then serafina who in order to remain with her brother had not married and finally ernesta and onofrio both of whom were deceased as ernesta had merely left a daughter benedetta behind her it followed that the only male heir the only possible continuator of the family name was onofrio's son young prince dario now some thirty years of age should he die without posterity the bocaneras once so full of life and whose deeds had filled roman history and papal times must fatally disappear dario and his cousin benedetta had been drawn together by a deep smiling natural passion ever since childhood they seemed born one for the other they could not imagine that they had been brought into the world for any other purpose than that of becoming husband and wife as soon as they should be old enough to marry when prince onofrio an amiable man of forty very popular in rome where he spent his modest fortune as his heart listed espoused la montefiori's daughter the little marchesa flavia whose superb beauty suggestive of a youthful juno had maddened him he went to reside at the villa montefiori 
the only property indeed the only belonging that remained to the two ladies it was in the direction of saint agnese fuori la mura and there were vast grounds a perfect park in fact planted with centenarian trees among which the villa a somewhat sorry building of the seventeenth century was falling into ruins unfavourable reports were circulated about the ladies the mother having almost lost caste since she had become a widow and the girl having too bold a beauty too conquering an air thus the marriage had not met with the approval of seraphina who was very rigid or of onofrio's elder brother pio at that time merely a cameriere segreto of the holy father and a canon of the vatican basilica only ernesta kept up a regular intercourse with onofrio fond of him as she was by reason of his gaiety of disposition and thus later on her favourite diversion was to go each week to the villa montefiori with her daughter benedetta there to spend the day and what a delightful day it always proved to benedetta and dario she ten years old and he fifteen what a fraternal loving day in that vast and almost abandoned garden with its parasol pines its giant box plants and its clumps of evergreen oaks amidst which one lost oneself as in a virgin forest the poor stifled soul of ernesta was a soul of pain and passion born with a mighty longing for life she thirsted for the sun for a free happy active existence in the full daylight she was noted for her large limpid eyes and the charming oval of her gentle face extremely ignorant like all the daughters of the roman nobility having learnt the little she knew in a convent of french nuns she had grown up cloistered in the black bocanera palace having no knowledge of the world than by those daily drives to the corso and the pincio on which she accompanied her mother eventually when she was five-and-twenty and was already weary and desolate she contracted the customary marriage of her caste espousing count brandini the last born of a very noble very numerous and poor family who had to come and live in the via giulia mansion where an entire wing of the second floor was got ready for the young couple and nothing changed ernesta continued to live in the same cold gloom in the midst of the same dead past the weight of which like that of a tombstone she felt pressing more and more heavily upon her the marriage was on either side a very honourable one count brandini soon passed as being the most foolish and haughty man in rome a strict intolerant formalist in religious matters he became quite triumphant when after innumerable intrigues secret plottings which lasted ten long years he at last secured the appointment of grand equerry to the holy father with this appointment it seemed as if all the dismal majesty of the vatican entered his household however ernesta found life still bearable in the time of pious nine that is until the latter part of eighteen seventy for she might still venture to open the windows overlooking the street receive a few lady friends otherwise than in secrecy and accept invitations to festivities but when the italians had conquered rome and the pope declared himself a prisoner the mansion in the via giulia became a sepulchre the great doors were closed and bolted even nailed together in token of mourning and during ten years the inmates only went out and came in by the little staircase communicating with the lane it was also forbidden to open the window shutters of the façade this was the sulking the protest of the black world the mansion sinking into death-like immobility complete seclusion no more receptions barely a few shadows the intimates of donna seraphina who on monday evenings slipped in by the little door in the lane which was scarcely set ajar and during those ten lugubrious years overcome by secret despair the young woman wept every night suffered untold agony at thus being buried alive 
ernesta had given birth to her daughter benedetta rather late in life when three and thirty years of age at first the little one helped to divert her mind but afterwards her wonted existence like a grinding millstone again seized hold of her and she had to place the child in the charge of the french nuns by whom she herself had been educated at the convent of the sacred heart of la trinita de monti when benedetta left the convent grown up nineteen years of age she was able to speak and write french knew a little arithmetic and her catechism and possessed a few hazy notions of history then the life of the two women was resumed the life of a gynecium suggestive of the orient never an excursion with husband or father but day after day spent in closed secluded rooms with naught to cheer one but the sole everlasting obligatory promenade the daily drive to the corso and the pincio at home absolute obedience was the rule the tie of relationship possessed an authority a strength which made both women bow to the will of the count without possible thought of rebellion and to the count's will was added that of donna serafina and that of cardinal pio both of whom were stern defenders of the old-time customs since the pope had ceased to show himself in rome the post of grand equerry had left the count considerable leisure for the number of equipages in the pontifical stables had been very largely reduced nevertheless he was constant in his attendance at the vatican where his duties were now a mere matter of parade and ever increased his devout zeal as a mark of protest against the usurping monarchy installed at the quirinal however benedetta had just attained her twentieth year when one evening her father returned coughing and shivering from some ceremony at st peter's a week later he died carried off by inflammation of the lungs and despite their mourning the loss was secretly considered a deliverance by both women who now felt that they were free thenceforward ernesta had but one thought that of saving her daughter from that awful life of immurement and entombment she herself had sorrowed too deeply it was no longer possible for her to remount the current of existence but she was unwilling that benedetta should in her turn lead a life contrary to nature in a voluntary grave moreover similar lassitude and rebellion were showing themselves among other patrician families which after the sulking of the first years were beginning to draw nearer to the quirinal why indeed should the children eager for action liberty and sunlight perpetually keep up the quarrel of the fathers and so though no reconciliation could take place between the black world and the white world intermediate tints were already appearing and some unexpected matrimonial alliances were contracted ernesta for her part was indifferent to the political question she knew next to nothing about it but that which she passionately desired was that her race might at last emerge from that hateful sepulchre that black silent bocanera mansion where her woman's joys had been frozen by so long a death she had suffered very grievously in her heart as girl as lover and as wife and yielded to anger at the thought that her life should have been so spoiled so lost through idiotic resignation then too her mind was greatly influenced by the choice of a new confessor at this period for she had remained very religious practising all the rites of the church and ever docile to the advice of her spiritual director to free herself the more however she now quitted the jesuit father whom her husband had chosen for her and in his stead took abbe pisoni the rector of the little church of santa brigida on the piazza farnese close by he was a man of fifty very gentle and very good-hearted of a benevolence seldom found in the roman world and archaeology a passion for the old stones of the past had made him an ardent patriot humble though his position was 
folks whispered that he had on several occasions served as an intermediary in delicate matters between the vatican and the quirinal and becoming confessor not only of ernesta but of benedetta also he was fond of discoursing to them about the grandeur of italian unity the triumphant sway that italy would exercise when the pope and the king should agree together meantime benedetta and dario loved as on the first day patiently with the strong tranquil love of those who know that they belong to one another but it happened that ernesta threw herself between them and stubbornly opposed their marriage no no her daughter must not espouse that dario that cousin the last of the name who in his turn would immure his wife in the black sepulchre of the bocanera palace their union would be a prolongation of entombment an aggravation of ruin a repetition of the haughty wretchedness of the past of the everlasting peevish sulking which depressed and benumbed one she was well acquainted with the young man's character she knew that he was egotistical and weak incapable of thinking and acting predestined to bury his race with a smile on his lips to let the last remnant of the house crumble about his head without attempting the slightest effort to found a new family and that which she desired was fortune in another guise a new birth for her daughter with wealth and the florescence of life amid the victors and powerful ones of to-morrow from that moment the mother did not cease her stubborn efforts to ensure her daughter's happiness despite herself she told her of her tears entreated her not to renew her own deplorable career yet she would have failed such was the calm determination of the girl who had forever given her heart if certain circumstances had not brought her into connection with such a son-in-law as she dreamt of at that very villa montefiori where benedetta and dario had plighted their troth she met count prada son of orlando one of the heroes of the reunion of italy arriving in rome from milan with his father when eighteen years of age at the time of the occupation of the city by the italian government prada had first entered the ministry of finances as a mere clerk whilst the old warrior his sire created a senator lived scantily on a petty income the last remnant of a fortune spent in his country's service the fine warlike madness of the former comrade of garibaldi had however in the sun turned into a fierce appetite for booty so that the young man became one of the real conquerors of rome one of those birds of prey that dismembered and devoured the city engaged in vast speculations on land already wealthy according to popular report he had at the time of meeting ernesta just become intimate with prince onofrio whose head he had turned by suggesting to him the idea of selling the far-spreading grounds of the villa montefiori for the erection of a new suburban district on the site others averred that he was the lover of the princess the beautiful flavia who although nine years his senior was still superb and truth to tell he was certainly a man of violent desires with an eagerness to rush on the spoils of conquest which rendered him utterly unscrupulous with regard either to the wealth or to the wives of others from the first day that he beheld benedetta he desired her but she at any rate could only become his by marriage and he did not for a moment hesitate but broke off all connection with flavia eager as he was for the pure virgin beauty the patrician youth of the other when he realized that ernesta the mother favored him he asked her daughter's hand feeling certain of success and the surprise was great for he was some fifteen years older than the girl however he was a count he bore a name which was already historical he was piling up millions he was regarded with favor at the quirinal and none could tell to what heights he might not attain all rome became impassioned never afterwards was benedetta able to explain to herself how it happened that she had eventually consented 
six months sooner six months later such a marriage would certainly have been impossible given the fearful scandal which it raised in the black world a bocanera the last maiden of that antique papal race given to a prada to one of the despoilers of the church was it credible in order that the wild project might prove successful it had been necessary that it should be formed at a particular brief moment a moment when a supreme effort was being made to conciliate the vatican and the quirinal a report circulated that an agreement was on the point of being arrived at that the king consented to recognize the pope's absolute sovereignty over the leonine city and a narrow band of territory extending to the sea and if such were the case would not the marriage of benedetta and prada become so to say a symbol of union of national reconciliation that lovely girl the pure lily of the black world was she not the acquiescent sacrifice the pledge granted to the whites for a fortnight nothing else was talked of people discussed the question allowed their emotion reign indulged in all sorts of hopes the girl for her part did not enter into the political reasons but simply listened to her heart which she could not bestow since it was hers no more from morn till night however she had to encounter her mother's prayers entreating her not to refuse the fortune the life which offered and she was particularly exercised by the counsels of her confessor good abbe pisoni whose patriotic zeal now burst forth he weighed upon her with all his faith in the christian destinies of italy and returned heartfelt thanks to providence for having chosen one of his penitents as the instrument for hastening the reconciliation which would work god's triumph throughout the world and her confessor's influence was certainly one of the decisive factors in shaping benedetta's decision for she was very pious very devout especially with regard to a certain madonna whose image she went to adore every sunday at the little church on the piazza farnese one circumstance in particular struck her abbe pisoni related that the flame of the lamp before the image in question whitened each time that he himself knelt there to beg the virgin to incline his penitent to the all-redeeming marriage and thus superior forces intervened and she yielded in obedience to her mother whom the cardinal and donna serafina had at first opposed but whom they left free to act when the religious question arose benedetta had grown up in such absolute purity and ignorance knowing nothing of herself so shut off from existence that marriage with another than dario was to her simply the rupture of a long-kept promise of life in common it was not the violent wrenching of heart and flesh that it would have been in the case of a woman who knew the facts of life she wept a good deal and then in a day of self-surrender she married prada lacking the strength to continue resisting everybody and yielding to a union which all rome had conspired to bring about but the clap of thunder came on the very night of the nuptials was it that prada the piedmontese the italian of the north the man of conquest displayed towards his bride the same brutality that he had shown towards the city he had sacked or was it that the revelation of married life filled benedetta with repulsion since nothing in her own heart responded to the passion of this man on that point she never clearly explained herself but with violence she shut the door of her room locked it and bolted it and refused to admit her husband for a month prada was maddened by her scorn he felt outraged both his pride and his passion bled and he swore to master her even as one masters a colt with the whip but all his virile fury was impotent against the indomitable determination which had sprung up one evening behind benedetta's small and lovely brow the spirit of the bocaneras had awoke within her nothing in the world not even the fear of death would have induced her to become her husband's wife and then love being at last revealed to her there came a return of her heart to dario 
a conviction that she must reserve herself for him alone since it was to him that she had promised herself ever since that marriage which he had borne like a bereavement the young man had been travelling in france she did not hide the truth from him but wrote to him again vowing that she would never be another's and meantime her piety increased her resolve to reserve herself for the lover she had chosen mingled in her mind with constancy of religious faith the ardent heart of a great amorosa had ignited within her she was ready for martyrdom for faith's sake and when her despairing mother with clasped hands entreated her to resign herself to her conjugal duties she replied that she owed no duties since she had known nothing when she married moreover the times were changing the attempts to reconcile the Quirinal and the vatican had failed so completely indeed that the newspapers of the rival parties had with renewed violence renewed their campaign of mutual insult and outrage and thus that triumphal marriage to which every one had contributed as to a pledge of peace crumbled amid the general smash-up became but a ruin the more added to so many others ernesta died of it she had made a mistake her spoilt life the life of a joyless wife had culminated in this supreme maternal error and the worst was that she alone had to bear all the responsibility of the disaster for both her brother the cardinal and her sister donna serafina overwhelmed her with reproaches for consolation she had but the despair of abbe pisoni whose patriotic hopes had been destroyed and who was consumed with grief at having contributed to such a catastrophe and one morning ernesta was found icy white and cold in her bed folks talked of the rupture of a blood vessel but grief had been sufficient for she had suffered frightfully secretly without a plaint as indeed she had suffered all her life long at this time benedetta had been married about a twelvemonth still strong in her resistance to her husband but remaining under the conjugal roof in order to spare her mother the terrible blow of a public scandal however her aunt serafina had brought influence to bear on her by opening to her the hope of a possible nullification of her marriage should she throw herself at the feet of the holy father and entreat his intervention and serafina ended by persuading her of this when deferring to certain advice she removed her from the spiritual control of abbe pisoni and gave her the same confessor as herself this was a jesuit father named lorenza a man scarce five-and-thirty with bright eyes grave and amiable manners and great persuasive powers however it was only on the morrow of her mother's death that benedetta made up her mind and returned to the palazzo boccanera to occupy the apartments where she had been born and where her mother had just passed away immediately afterwards proceedings for annulling the marriage were instituted in the first instance for inquiry before the cardinal vicar charged with the diocese of rome it was related that the contessina had only taken this step after a secret audience with his holiness who had shown her the most encouraging sympathy count prada at first spoke of applying to the law courts to compel his wife to return to the conjugal domicile but yielding to the entreaties of his old father orlando whom the affair greatly grieved he eventually consented to accept the ecclesiastical jurisdiction he was infuriated however to find that the nullification of the marriage was solicited on the ground of its non-consummation through impotentia mariti this being one of the most valid and decisive pleas on which the church of rome consents to part those whom she has joined and far more unhappy marriages than might be imagined are severed on these grounds though the world only gives attention to those cases in which people of title or renown are concerned as it did for instance with the famous martinez campos suit 
in benedetta's case her counsel consistorial advocate morano one of the leading authorities of the roman bar simply neglected to mention in his memoir that if she was still merely a wife in name this was entirely due to herself in addition to the evidence of friends and servants showing on what terms the husband and wife had lived since their marriage the advocate produced a certificate of a medical character showing that the non-consummation of the union was certain and the cardinal vicar acting as bishop of rome had thereupon remitted the case to the congregation of the council this was a first success for benedetta and matters remained in this position she was waiting for the congregation to deliver its final pronouncement hoping that the ecclesiastical dissolution of the marriage would prove an irresistible argument in favour of the divorce which she meant to solicit of the civil courts and meantime in the icy rooms where her mother ernesta submissive and desolate had lately died the contesina resumed her girlish life showing herself calm yet very firm in her passion having vowed that she would belong to none but dario and that she would not belong to him until the day when a priest should have joined them together in god's holy name End of section 3